I am a man, and I can compartmentalize. I discovered this gift early on as a teenager. I would get into a fight with mom and dad. I guess I would be mouthy and disrespectful and all that stuff. You can ask them. It's true. And uh, we would get into a brouhaha or whatever. And then I would go out with my band buddies uh, that were in the marching band, you know, not the rock band, the marching band, and hang out. And then, and, and I would come home, and they would still be steamed a little. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, the fight. And, you know, com- just, you know, go to a different environment. It's gone. Whoop, you know, compartmentalize. It's kind of like a switch that I can turn on or off. It's just the most amazing thing. Jenny, from time to time, will say, man, I wish I could do that. I don't think she means it when she says that. You know, to her, it's all connected. She can't just come home and, and process work. No, she's got to talk about the people at work and their spouses and their kids. And then, you know, well, last year, this assistant was with that teacher and this was the interchange and that's how it worked and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, but that was last year. It's a new year. They're different. No, to her, it's all connected. It's all connected. You know, despite the gender differences that can sometimes play out, uh, I think that these days, we Americans, men and women, we do a lot of compartmentalization. We do. I mean, think about it. At your work, there is a code of conduct for how that work life gets fleshed out. Maybe it's doggy dog. Maybe it's, you know what? In this environment, whoever the new guy is, the new guy gets the blame. And that's just like, it's like a rule at your work. And so, you know, Gary, the new guy, oh yeah, hey boss, Gary, you aren't going to believe what Gary did. Gary didn't know. You know, boom, and then the boss comes down on poor Gary. You know, and we do those things. Or at home, at home you have a different code of conduct. If you're a parent, you've probably said this phrase. This phrase has come out of your mouth. Why did you hit him? Why did you hit her? They hit me. See, eye for an eye. There it is, the code of conduct for your house. Retaliation, you know, mutual assured destruction in, in full force. And that's how your house operates. Or at church, there's a different code of conduct. You know, you're not going to eat that before we pray, are you? You know, because you've got to pray before meals. I, I had a Lutheran friend, Paul. I love this thing about his church. You could only whisper in the same. And I remember going with Paul to a Tenebrae service, and there was this guy talking about a trip he had taken to Lake Michigan. He was like, man, and we were on the ski boat, and you're not going to believe, and then, as soon as he hit the threshold, it was like somebody bumped his volume down, down 10 notches. I mean, I had to pick my jaw up off the floor. I was like, Paul, that's amazing. You know, I thought there was this power in the Lutheran church, you know, it just sucked your volume out as soon as you went through the, the threshold of the door. But we compartmentalize. We do that. And, and the way we treat people at work is not necessarily the way we treat people at home, which is not necessarily the way we treat people at church. We compartmentalize. We do that. But when it comes to God, I think, I think the compartmentalization takes on a whole new, uh, a whole new flavor. It, it goes to a whole new level. Uh, for example, at work, we will say stuff like, I can't help you. Are you kidding me? That's not my job. I do enough. Are you kidding? They expect me to, you know, you're going to have to do that yourself. And then literally within a few hours, we're voicing a prayer to God where we're like, God, I'm overwhelmed. I need you to help me. <laughs> and, or, or at home, you know, the kids, I mentioned the mouthiness. Well, now that you're a parent, it's your kids being mouthy to you. And so, 
you know, and we, as a parent, if we've had a long, stressful day, we can come down hard on them, can't we? We Bam! You dissing me, dissing in my house. See, that's a word you could use, dissing, on your kids. It'd be great. And they would respect you more. (laughs) Okay? And then we come down hard on them. And then literally, maybe within a day or two, we're like, God, would you please forgive me for, and then da-da-da-da. We're this way, I think, because we, when it comes to other people and their shortcomings, when it comes to their faults, when it comes to their growth areas, we really expect them to change. We do. And, and it's, it's asking a lot of us to put up with them and their shortcomings and their difficulties and their abrasiveness. But when it's our shortcomings, when it's our faults, I mean, aren't there good reasons why we are? I mean, for crying out loud, if you had grown up in my house or if you had had the day, I mean, Nicholasville Road traffic, I mean, there are legitimate reasons why we behave the way we do. But yet... There's this thing, and, and, and so it doesn't, we compartmentalize. Several years ago, I'm not going to tell you when, but several years ago, um, I decided to make a change in, in, in our marriage. And the way Jenny and I tend to work is I'm wrong about 99.999% of the time, and Jenny's, you know, right 100% of the time. And, and it works. It's just how our marriage works. But I had gotten to a point in the marriage where it's like, you know what? I'm tired of being wrong. I've told you this before, but I didn't tell you this little part of it. One day, she sits me down and explains the way in which I had been hurting her. And, and I was not, no, I was, did not, I did not agree to it. Nope, uh-uh, it's your thing. No, hmm, I'm not wrong. You're wrong about this. You're wrong. I'm not wrong. Got it? You know, we're done. And you could, you know, the tension was very thick. I was on very thin ice, guys, okay? But, you know, I wasn't, just didn't want to be wrong again. I was tired of being wrong, okay? So... I'm praying, you know, talking to God later on, and it was as if I could hear it clear as day. And God was like, I'm sorry, I'm confused, help me. You're hacked off at her because you hurt her, and you're wanting me to forgive you and do all this. I'm, help me understand this. I'm confused. <laughs> Just treat her the way you want me to treat you, okay? Okay, we do this, compartmentalizing. I want to let you in on a little spiritual secret today. And this is the spiritual secret. The health and maturity of your relationships with other people is a measuring stick for the health and maturity of your relationship with God. They're connected. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, you actually have to grow in your relationships with other people. They're connected. This spiritual secret is actually taught throughout the Old and New Testament. Um, John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus makes this famous statement. He says, the world will know that you are my disciples because you have a Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt. The world will know that you're my disciples because you faithfully attend midweek. The world will know you're my disciples by your what? By your what? Love by how you treat one another. In other words, if you want to know how you're doing with God, look at how you're doing with the people in your life. Um, Matthew 5, uh, Jesus is teaching about uh, prayer, and he says, if you're, if you're about to make a gift at the altar and you realize that you've got this relational <clears throat> with somebody, leave your gift and go make it right. The paraphrase of that is, is if God were speaking, God is basically saying, hey, don't talk to me till you go talk to them. 
don't come to me till you work it out with them. I don't want to hear from you. Go work it out. Okay, and there, there it is. There's that connection. If you brought a Bible, I want you to open it to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be back in Ephesians today. Ephesians chapter 4. And again, this is a church that Paul spent three years with. So he developed close friendships. He developed some strong relationships in this church. And uh, this letter that he wrote is not just to the church of Ephesus. It's to a number of different churches. It's a circular letter. But it's written to churches. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, there's one of those great Pauline, therefore. Okay? So Ephesians 4, chapter 1, it begins with, therefore. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you. Um, and, and the therefore is important because it means he's summarizing what he's done in the first three chapters. In other words, if God's love is so great, if salvation is so powerful, if God has in fact taken Jews and Gentiles and made them brothers and sisters, members of an extended family in the same oikos, if God has done that, then, then okay, and then here's what follows. Therefore, I, prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And that's the main imperative. Lead a life worthy of your calling. In other words, if God's love is so great, if salvation is so powerful, if God's reconciled these people that were enemies and made them part of the same family, live like it. And then there's three like uh, prepositional phrases modifying the live a life worthy of the calling. Well, what's that look like? What's a life worthy of the calling look like? And there's three things. And the first, is, first two of them are found in verse 2. Be humble and be gentle. Be patient. There they are. Boom, boom, boom. Be humble, gentle, and patient. And let's flesh this out a little bit. Be humble. For Paul, uh, always be humble. Uh, he has in mind, in another letter he wrote, uh, Philippians 2, he talks about the attitude that Jesus had. Jesus was a servant. He came. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And Philippians 2 uh, has this beautiful hymn, early hymn, where it's talking about he humbled himself to the point of becoming a servant, obedient even unto death. And I know you're thinking, well, golly, if I do that, they're just going to walk all over me. But, but Jesus' attitude when he came to the planet was, you know, I could have brought 10,000 angels with me and nuked your face off. But no, I was a little baby in a manger. Had to have my diaper changed. Thank you. I came in true humility. Um, and then there's the be gentle. Always be humble and gentle. And gentle means you're not going to use force or coercion or manipulation to get what you want in relationships. Being gentle. Um, and, and guys, men, you can be strong and be gentle. It's possible. Jesus was not a wimp. He was strong, but he was also gentle. Um, you can have authority without necessarily walking all over someone. It, you, you can do that. All right, so be humble, be gentle, and then be patient with each other. Uh, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And this each other is a phrase that Paul uses like 40 other times in his letters. It's the whole me, you self-other thing, each other. It's this beautiful thing that Paul uses. John of Chrysostom uh, wrote this about this particular uh, verse in Ephesians. He says, 
To be patient with someone is to have a wide and big soul, one that is able to endure annoyances and difficulties, and one that will give others time and room to fail, grow, and develop. And uh, I've been reading, rereading Thomas Akempis' Imitation of Christ, and this is the way he put it uh, in this verse. This is great. It's actually not great, but it's, it's good stuff. You are quite adept at excusing and glossing over your own shortcomings, but you're unwilling to accept excuses from anyone else. It would be more just to accuse yourself and excuse your brother or sister. If you want others to put up with you, you must put up with them. He wrote that in 1427. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's like, dead on. Sorry. Woo. Okay. So, and, and then it goes on, okay? So, be humble, be gentle. Okay, so live a life worthy of the calling. What's that life look like? That is a life that's characterized by being humble, by being gentle, by being patient, and bearing with other people's problems. And then he kind of summarizes it this way. He says, always keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit and bind yourselves together with peace. The NIV puts it this way, make every effort to preserve the bond of peace. In other words, do everything you can to keep, live this life and keep these relationships characterized by humility, gentleness, and patience. Why? Why would we want to treat others that way? Well, here's the kicker. It's how God treated us. I know this flies in the face of like business practice, doesn't it? This isn't how the business world operates. Uh, you know, you've got to watch your back in the business world. But uh, the next time you're ready to pounce on someone, the next time you're ready to come down on someone, ask yourself, is this how God treated me? I mean, have you ever prayed these prayers? Oh, God, I'll never do that again. Da, 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 da. Did God nuke your face off? Well, if he was gentle with you, shouldn't you and I be gentle with others? Um, and the next time you're losing patience with, and you know who that person is, your spouse, the kids, you know, the, that guy, Gary, <laughs> okay? The next time you're losing patience with, don't forget that thing that you can't seem to change that you keep going to God and asking Him to be patient with you with. You want to live a life that's worthy of the calling? This is the standard. How you treat others is how God... How you should treat others is how God has treated you. Um, and, and here's the thing. Despite how you and I think, despite how you and I live, sometimes how uh, the, the health and maturity of our relationships with other people really is the measuring stick for the health and maturity of our relationship with God. They really are connected, and you can't grow in your relationship with God without growing in relationship with other people. And if that is true, I would like to ask a couple of questions, all right? So here's my questions. Question number one, how is the health and maturity of your relationships with other people right now, especially the people you live with? or the people you work with, how are they? Are they the same as they were a year ago or five years ago? Or are they better or are they worse? If, if the health and maturity of our relationship with others really is the measuring stick, then how would you say you're doing with God right now? There's another question. On the whole, are you treating others the way God has treated you? Thomas Akempis, in another part of the imitation of Christ, he puts it this way. 
and this is the section called of putting up with others' faults. This is, I tell you, this has been banging me around as I've been reading, reading this. He says this, he says, uh, and this, by the way, was, this was just his advice to help new monks make it in the monastery because he had this axe to grind. He felt like all these new monks came in here thinking it was going to be nirvana and that they would just get to hang with God and it would just be so great because they wouldn't be in the world anymore and it would just be perfect and everyone would be perfect and brotherly love. And then they found out, oh, there's backbiting and all this other stuff because there's other people. <laughs> and so Thomas wrote this kind of instructional manuals for orientating to dealing with people, which really they didn't have to go to the monastery to do. Okay, he says this, Take pains to be patient in bearing the faults and weaknesses of others. For you too have many flaws that others must put up with. There's a Christian t-shirt. If you cannot make yourself as you would like to be, how can you expect to have another person entirely to your liking? We would willingly have others to be perfect, and yet we fail to correct our own faults. We want others to be strictly corrected, and yet we're unwilling to be corrected ourselves. Other people's far-ranging freedom annoys us, and yet we insist on having our own way. We, ish, we wish others to be tied-bound by rules, and yet we will not allow ourselves to be held in check in any way at all. It's evident how rarely we think of our neighbor as ourselves. In, if you fast-forward a few verses in chapter 4... Uh, Paul makes a connection, and this is how I want to draw this together. Because Ephesians was, is a letter in context. This is a letter written to the oikos, the church. Okay, And so when he was saying those things, lead a li- live a life worthy of the calling, be humble, be, j- be patient, be gentle, it's within the context of oikos. Okay? And in verses 14, 15, and 16... Uh, he, he says this. He says, then, then we will no longer be like children, forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us different or because someone has cleverly lied to us and made the lie sound like the truth. Instead, we'll hold to the truth in love, becoming more and more in every way like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Under his direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts what? Grow. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I would submit to you that the oikos, the church, the extended family, is the best context for you to grow. It's the best context for me to grow, not just in our relationship with God, but in our relationship with other people because what? They're connected. And when we're in that context where we're with brothers and sisters whose hearts are also open to Jesus, it provides the right ingredients for us to be able to put up with each other in the context of Christ's love, which helps us to grow. Um, now, the way we do church today, this is not Sunday morning. I mean, in this context here, I'm talking, you're listening, I'm standing, you're sitting in a seat. That's not a growth context, okay? It's in things like a men's gathering on a Sunday morning or a class or a small group or even basketball where you're processing life during and after the game. It's in those contexts where you get some real oikos relationships, Here's what I think. I think you and I need close proximity enough with other believers, close enough proximity where they're having to put up with us and where we're having to put up with them. 
because in that context, we're able to grow. If you know someone well enough into the church, in the church family and your relationship is such where you're getting together with them, you're having to do something with them, and there's a groan factor of, oh, I hate, mm, that is a gift from God. It is. It is a gift from God to help you and me to grow. That's what it is. Thomas Akempis, in his book, he calls it that. He says, this is a gift. It's an opportunity for growth. I know some of you are going to be going home and telling your spouse, you help me grow. No, no, no. (laughs) They're going to understand what you mean, and a fight will ensue. (laughs) Okay? But when we're in that context... It really is. It's an opportunity for us to grow and become more like Jesus. Um, Jenny and I were in the small group that never ended at at the mothership. This small group just wouldn't die. We could never kill it. It went on and on forever. And when Jenny and I moved into our, we bought our first house, and we were first-time homeowners, and it was such a great thing, and we had saved and had enough money to put in new carpeting. I've told you this before. And, and so, of course, what did we want to do? We wanted to have our Oikos Fellowship come over and, and celebrate the new house. And, and, and so we had a small group at the house with the new carpet. And there was this little baby, baby Nathaniel, okay? Baby Nathaniel, and all he could do at that point was waddle. Now, there's this thing called the rotavirus. Yes. He had the rotavirus and brought it into my house with my new carpet. And... And the moment he decided to Ralph, he was at one end of the family room with the new carpet family room. And his mom was at the other end. And he was like, Mama, and he waddled, throwing up the whole length of the family room. Do you know what that was? It was an opportunity for growth. (laughs) Do you want to know why? Because... I'm a recovering, you know, obsessive. Everything should be clean and orderly and perfect. And it was an opportunity for me to put up with my Oikos fellowship and know that Nathaniel is more important than the stinking carpet. Okay? So there are too many of us, when it comes to Oikos, I think that we're, we're out-of-town cousins or we're out-of-town family, and we don't have that Oikos connection where people know us and love us well enough that they're having to groan and put up with us and that we're having to put up with them. You need that, okay? So I don't believe that you can know uh, or that you should know everyone in a local church intimately well. It's not possible. You can't know 50 or 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 people intimately. You just can't. Maybe you could have 10,000 Twitter followers. I don't know. But you can't know them intimately, okay? But here's here's the question I would pose. Within this fellowship... Are there at least a handful of people who know you well enough that they're having to put up with you and you're having to put up with them? Are there at least a handful of people who have permission to speak into your life? And when they see you going down a wrong path, when they see you starting the drift, when they see stuff percolating, they go, wait a minute, okay? That's a good lens and a good filter. Why is this important? Because you need to grow. I need to grow. And here's the beautiful thing. As you and I grow, like Paul says in this verse, uh, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love, full of Jesus. Couldn't you use more of Jesus in your home? You bring him with you. And when you become more like him, your home gets better. Couldn't you use more of Jesus at work? Yeah. 
it makes it better. And when you bring him with you and you bring more of him, it makes work better. The health and maturity of your relationships with other people really are a measuring stick for the health and maturity of your relationship with God. And I want you to, you to see that connection today. And here's the good news. God can help you grow. In fact, he's put people in your life right now for the very purpose of helping you grow.